Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his officials, so that I may perform these signs of mine among them, that you may tell your children and grandchildren how I dealt harshly with the Egyptians and how I performed my signs among them, and that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people, let my people go, so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will bring locusts in your country tomorrow. They will cover the face of the ground so that it cannot be seen. They will devour what little you have left after the hail, including every tree that is growing in your fields. They will fill your houses and those of all your officials and all the Egyptians, something neither your parents nor your ancestors have ever seen from the day they settled in this land till now. Then Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go, so that they may worship the Lord their God. Do you not realize that Egypt is ruined? Then Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. Go, worship the Lord your God, he said, but tell me who will be going. Moses answered, We will go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, and with our flocks and herds, because we have to celebrate a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh said, The Lord be with you. If I let you go along with your women and children, clearly you are bent on evil. Verse 11. Not so. Go now, the man among you, and serve Yahweh, for that is what you are seeking. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of, of Egypt for the locusts, that they may come up on the land of Egypt and eat every plant on the land, all that the hail hath left remaining. So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and Yahweh directed the, an east wind on the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locusts. And the locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and rest on all the territory of Egypt. They were very heavy. There had never been so many locusts, nor would there be so many again. For they covered the surface of the whole land, so that the land was darkened. And they ate every plant of the land and all the fruit of the tree and that the hail had left. Thus nothing green was left on tree or plant of the field through all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hurried, called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, I have sinned Yahweh your God and against you. So, so now please forgive my sin, only this one, and he Entreat Yahweh your God that he would only cause this death to depart from me. And he went out from Yahweh, uh, but he went out from Pharaoh and entreated Yahweh. 
So Yahweh changed the wind to a very strong west wind. Okay. We、uh, took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust remained in all the territory of Egypt. But Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart with strength, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Stretch out your hand toward the sky, so that darkness will spread over Egypt, darkness that can be felt." So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, "Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. Only leave your flocks and your herds behind." But Moses said. You must allow us to have sacrifice and burnt offering to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock is too much. Our life, livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of these then in worshiping the Lord our God. Until we get there, we will not know what we are able, what we are to use to worship the Lord. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, "Get out of my sight." Make sure you do not appear before me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Just as you say, Moses replied, "I will never appear before you again." So good, thank you. We're nearing the end of this contest between God and Pharaoh, and it's in these final plagues where where we're introduced to God's signature move.、Um, the signature move means something that you do that you're known for. Uh, something you do that becomes associated with what you're all about. So, what's the signature move for a child? It's kind of playing around, you know,、uh, being silly.、Um, uh, what are some examples of a, of a signature move? Maybe for、um, think of Michael Jordan. His signature move was、uh, kind of a slam dunk.、Uh, he was able to dunk the ball very well, or the A signature move for Babe Ruth was hitting home runs, right?、Uh, signature move for um, um, you know、uh, Napoleon might have been his military genius and his kind of short stature.、Uh, well, here in, in plagues,、uh, these last plagues, you, we, we see we're introduced to God's signature move, and, and, because God is going to perform miracles of judgment that we're going to see throughout Scripture. And when we see these signature moves, we are to to think back to Exodus and, and the and the initial significance of these of these miracles. So whenever we see these signature moves that we're going to be introduced to today, we are to think we are to be reminded that that God is on the brink of doing something special. That He is about to accomplish this great salvation through judgment. God is. We are to be reminded that. God is advancing His plan forward to to this final culmination, and we see that first here in Exodus, the cornerstone of theology for Scripture. Now, God's signature move began back in the seventh plague, and and that was the beginning of the last trio of plagues. If you remember, the first nine plagues are made up of are, are made up of groups of group of、uh, three groups of three, and、uh, they all deal with God's、uh, power over creation. That. He is the Creator, and and Plague Seven Eight Nine demonstrated that God is the Creator. He is Lord over the sky, over the air. And the seventh plague that we looked at last Friday, it consisted of a hail, a hailstorm, this great hailstorm. And, and do we not see hail throughout Scripture? 
Hailstorms referred to in Isaiah, a hailstorm referring to Haggai, and then finally in Revelation, we, 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 are inter- we, are, we see hailstorms again. Again, God's signature move is introduced in these last plagues. And God's signature moves continue in plagues number 8 and 9 with the plague of locusts and the plague of darkness. Well, um, now, we'll see in chapter uh, 1, 1 through 20, is the eighth plague, the eighth plague of, plague of locusts. And uh, locusts are basically uh, uh, killer grasshoppers. Killer grasshoppers are basically the same thing, a, little, a, a significant difference, and we'll talk about that later. But this eighth plague of locusts is the second longest of the plagues, the nine plagues. And, uh, and, uh, and we're getting to the tenth plague. Now, in this, in this eighth plague, uh, this is kind of unique because uh, it'll describe Pharaoh's reaction before the plague as well as after the plague. Um, uh, verse, let's go to verse 1. And um, what, what, is, what kind of stands out to you in verse 1? Dowie said to Moses, Come to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his of, of, of his servants with with firmness that I may set these signs up mine among them. What's kind of interesting about this verse one? Who's out of ordinary in verse one? Mentioning the hardening of his servants as well. Uh, yes, yes, yes. That's that's one thing that's kind of unique. We know that it was. Now we learn that it wasn't just Pharaoh who was trying to steal God's glory. It was also Pharaoh's servants. But what else? Even more unique. Even more out of the ordinary. Especially when you think of order. He already hardened his heart before the plague. Yeah, you're close. Like every other plague, it 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 says at the end of the plague, God hardened his heart. This eighth plague is unique because at the beginning of the plague, yes. God says he hardened his heart. Yes. And uh, he does that. Why does it, why do you think he does that? Why do you think he starts plague number eight with this with this, uh, with what God did to his heart? Why do you think he does that? It's rather unusual because the objective is not merely for them to exit and leave. There's another objective. Right, right. And one wonders which objective of the two is more important than the other. <laughs> good, yeah. So he, uh, very good. So he starts with this reference, this mention of God hardening his heart, in order to further describe the purpose of the plagues. Um, and verse 2 tells us why. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Mm-hmm. That it's not just Israel and Egypt and Pharaoh and the rest of the world who, who needs to know who Yahweh is, but so that, verse 2, you may recount in the hearing of your son and of your grandson how I dealt severely with the Egyptians and how I put my signs among them that you may know that I am Yahweh. So it's it's not just Israel and Pharaoh and Egypt and and, and the rest of the world that needs to know what the name of Yahweh means, but so that 
The future generations of God's people will know who, who, Yahweh, is, who Yahweh is. Future generations, like you and me here tonight. Right? What kind of book? So, would God's people today, would we even kind of, with this account of Pharaoh and God, would it, would it stand out to us? Would it be so memorable if it was just one plague, or two plagues, or three plagues? No. It, 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 it's memorable because it's ten plagues in a row. And, and, and so, uh, for us, we learn about who Yahweh is because Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart. So this is for us, too. Uh, the, the purpose is to, verse 2, at the end of verse 2, so that future generations, your son and your grandsons, and verse 2, will know that I am Yahweh. That he is the creator, and the gods of Egypt are not gods. This has a, a, an evangelistic purpose. God has hardened Pharaoh's heart for an evangelistic reason. So that everybody, God's people in the future, uh, until Christ returns, will know something about Yahweh's nature and character. Um, it says in verse 2 that he dealt severely with the Egyptians. This has this idea of humiliation, that he humbled Pharaoh, that he that through these plagues he was humbling uh, Egypt's pride in their false god. And in these plagues, he's showing Egypt just how helpless your false gods are. Just how powerless your false gods are. And it's, these ten plagues are designed to expose Egypt's pride as being empty. Being empty. They, they don't have any right to have pride in their false gods. Verse 3, Moses and Aaron come to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Pharaoh refuses to humble himself. You see, when you don't acknowledge the God of Scripture as your Lord, you're, you're, you're acting against your self-interest. And eventually, if you can continue to refuse to acknowledge Yahweh as your creator and as your Lord, as your God, you're eventually going to be forcibly taught who the boss is. Everybody will one day acknowledge the lordship of the only God. Everybody one day will bow the knee and confess Christ as Lord. You'll either do that now as a servant, as a child, or you'll do that later as his enemy, um, someone he will destroy. Uh, and so uh, Egypt is unwilling to be humbled by their own choice. And so God must now humble them directly. Verses 4 through 6 uh, de uh, des describes the severity of, the, of this plague for the benefit of Pharaoh, for the benefit of his court advisors. And um, plague number 7, which was the hailstorm, and plague number 8, which is the, locust, uh, the, lo the swarms of locusts, it's like a one-two punch. Right? To knock out their economy. To knock out the entire Egyptian agrarian economy. Look at 4. Uh, verse 4. Um, I will... Uh, I will for, if, you re, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. 
what are what, what's kind of one uh, significant quality about locusts? What do locusts do? They never stop eating. <laughs> what else? Devour the crops, highly mobile, mm -hmm. moving swarms, cover okay. vast territory, and destroy. Okay, what, what's even more basic? A more basic thing that locusts do? Fish swim, horses ride on the land, they fly. And locusts fly, right? So it's to show you that this, this locust a swarm is to show you that God is the Lord of the sky. Remember how the three groups of the three plagues? God is God of the water, the land, and God of the sky. This is a this is a signature move of God. Where else do we see locusts in the in the Bible? Famously in the Old Testament. In Joel, right? Uh, Amos, Nahum, and where else do we see locusts in Revelation? Like I told you, it happens in Revelation where the locusts are like are like killer locusts, right? They're like uh, locusts from uh, from a nightmare. Um, locusts are got, are a signature move of God. This is if you see a, you see a locust storm, you know this is from God's hand and that He's advancing His agenda. Now, when the hail uh, had started. Uh, most of the crops, many, much of the crops were decimated. And so what, what the hail started, the locusts finished. Their part two. And Egypt, at the, at, at the end of this, will have no food. Uh, and this is a remarkable reversal of what happened during when? Joseph. Joseph. When they had what? Lots of food. And this is kind of part of the promise made to Abraham. You bless Israel, God will bless you. And if you curse Israel, God will curse you. Verse 5 says, um, And they shall cover the surface of the land. That phrase, the surface, kind of interesting, surface of the land. It, it literally means the eye of the land. They shall cover the eye of the land. Why do you think uh, that word is used? Read the rest of the verse. Why do you think... They shall cover the eye of the land. What is it trying to accentuate? It'll so cover the land that no one will be able to see the land. So the, the, Moses uses the word eye. That it, it, it so covers, the locusts so cover the fields and the, and the farms and, and the houses that you can't even, nobody's able to see us of the land. Um, what the hail has uh, uh, begun, the, the, the locusts will finish. They will eat every tree which spouts for you out of the field. And then verse 6, uh, it'll fill, the, the locusts will fill the houses. What, what, is that, what does that signify? What does that show? What is that going to do? If it fill, the locusts fill uh, your houses. That means there's no food outside or inside. These are locusts everywhere. Um, just imagine you're trying to eat something inside. Oh man, locusts just eat it up. Like, you know, you're about to put it, you, you have a donut, and, you, and it's just, oh, it's gone. You know, what happened to my donut? Uh, that's the idea. Um, and it gets so bad, it gets so bad 
he says, well, he says in verse 6, you've never seen this kind of locust storm. I mean, locust storms are, locust uh, swarms are, are common in, in this age, day and age, but but not as not to the degree that it happens in, in this, in, in plague number in plague number 8. That from the day that you came upon the earth, you, you've never seen a, a locust swarm as great as this. And it gets so uh, serious that, look at verse 7 says, and first, uh, Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long will this man be a snare to us? Let the man go, that they may serve Yahweh their God. Do you, do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So the Pharaoh's servants are talking to Pharaoh, and, and what's so astonishing about what the servants are doing? <laughs> this is not a democracy. Uh, right, right, right. And so, what are they? What are the servants doing as they as they rebuke Pharaoh? They're also signing their death warrant, right? They're basically saying, yes. "You know what? It's so bad." And even though we know we're going to die for telling you this, it, we're going to die anyways. So there's nothing to lose. And uh, Pharaoh's servants say what the reader says, right? Man, it's so obvious, Pharaoh. It's so obvious about what you need to do. Um, and this is what sin does, right? It blinds us to our own our own spiral, spiraling down into destruction. The powerful leaders, they get so carried away with their will that they, they don't know what to do. Um, this, this phrase, uh, this man... How, how long will this man be a snare to us? A snare is what? Somebody traps you in a situation. It, not, it takes away your freedom. And this is ironic, right? Because those who enslaved the Israelites are now being trapped and denied their own freedom. They're now getting a taste of their own medicine. They're being held against their wills by their opponent. Not Moses, but God who's punishing and ensnaring the Israelites. Verse 8 is really... Uh, so, verse 8... Uh, Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And mind you, the, the locusts haven't come yet. This is just a warning. And Pharaoh's servants, they're so, they're so afraid. They're, uh, they're saying, listen, Pharaoh, we, we, we know, uh, let, learn your lesson. Plagues one through seven have come. We can't, ha we can't, we can't survive another blow to our economy. Um, this is not gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna get out of this one. And so, verse eight, uh, so, uh, verse 8, they're brought back to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says to them, Go serve Yahweh your God, who are the ones that are going? What's so significant about verse 8? For the first time, what do we see? He's agreeing to let them go. Yes, he, uh, but he, he agreed before. Oh, okay. He agreed before. Of course, he changed his mind. But what do we see really significant? The way he refers to Yahweh, maybe. How so? Okay, no. You're close, though. See, up until now, he's never, Pharaoh has never used the word serve. Remember, serve has the idea of slave. And, and Yahweh was saying, Israel, they're my slaves. And, and Pharaoh say, no, they're my slaves. And so even before when Pharaoh said, okay, you can take them, he would never use that word. 
He would never fully say that I'm giving up my authority over them to your authority, and now for the first time he is. And so, what does that tell us about Pharaoh? That he's breaking. He's breaking down. He, he's not there yet because while he's breaking down, while he uses a word he refused to use until now, he's still bargaining, verse 8. Well, who, 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 just tell me who's going again. Verse 9, uh, Moses continues to kind of uh, bargain the way he's been bargaining the whole time. He's been bargaining uh, with, with the style and, la and language that was gentle, that was, that was humble. Uh, Moses says in verse 9, We shall go with our young and our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We shall go, for it is a feast of Yahweh for us. He's just kind of using this kind of toned-down language to say we're going to leave. For, all of us are going to leave. Um, Pharaoh kind of doesn't understand. I mean, uh, uh, I've read that the, kind of the worship of the Egyptian pantheon, when there were feasts, it would usually be composed of men. So uh, the idea is like, well, just send the men. Why do you need everybody to go? Um, and so verse 10, uh, uh, Pharaoh has a change of heart. And he refuses, and he says to him, Thus may Yahweh be with you if I ever let you and your little ones go. See, for your evil is on your faces. And then in verse 11, Not so, go now the men among you and serve Yahweh, for that is what they were seeking. Um, so they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. That's not, the, that's not what God said. Not, not just the men, but everybody. Everybody, men, women, daughters, Mothers, everybody gets to go. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. That that term, they were driven out. Um, we we see that uh, repeatedly throughout this account. Uh, chapter eleven, verse one. Uh, Yahweh said to Moses, "One more plague I'll bring on Pharaoh on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will surely drive you out." Uh, chapter twelve, thirty-nine, and. Um, and they baked the dough which they had brought out of Egypt and the cakes of unleavened bread, for it not, had not become leavened since they were driven out of Egypt. So, uh, Pharaoh's going to drive out Moses. Um, and, and eventually, Pharaoh will, will drive out the Israelites from, from Egypt to defeat. Now, this is when the plague begins. The plague of, of the locusts uh, swarming, this massive, uh, a, a, a locust plague they, like they've never seen before in history, verses 13 through 15. And so, verse 12, Yahweh says to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land for the locusts that they may come upon the land of Egypt to eat and eat every plant of the land, all that the left hail has left remains. Um, locusts, like I said, they're, they're just basically grasshoppers, and they've hatched, and they've grown in really great conditions in, in this really a sandy soil where grasshopper eggs are normally de de uh, deposited. And so instead of a normal survival rate, of grasshoppers, which is very, very low, but a few per thousand, these grasshoppers that become, that, that kind of get a new name called locusts, they survive by the hundreds per thousand. 
So I mean, it's like a few to a hundreds, and then you have locusts. And so there's so many uh, uh, grasshoppers that survive in this in their birth that they rub together, and they're rubbing together so much that instead of being green, they produce this characteristic brown color. Locusts are brown in color um, because there's so many of them, and they're rubbing together, and they lose their green color. Um, and as as as, as uh, Alfredo said, they 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 love they have they have voracious appetites, right? They're like me at an all-you-can-eat pizza bar, you know? They can, except this, here they're eating plants, and I don't eat vegetables, so kind of different. But they eat crop vegetables, fruit. Nothing has a chance against this divinely unprecedented, unduplicated kind of plague. And look what it says uh, in verse 12. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 13. He, Moses stretched out his... Staff over the land of Egypt. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and I want to ask, I want to uh, ask you to listen really carefully and listen to the kind of language that's being used and tell me what it reminds you of. Okay, I'm gonna read verse 13 to you. I'll start from the beginning again. So Moses stretched out a staff over the land of Egypt, and Yahweh directed an east wind on the land all that day and all that night, and when it was morning. The east wind brought the locusts. Where, what kind of language does that remind you of? It's love. Uh, yes, but what else? Genesis 1. Day and night and morning, which the flood, the flood uses that kind of language too, Genesis language. And so, um, again, the, Moses is describing the creator. Creation language. Um, he, is, he is Lord over, over the... The, the wind, right? The, the, he's Lord over the sky. And verse 14, um, they, they, they were very heavy. That word kabod, glory. That this is where God is showing his glory. Same word used to describe God's glory is used for the word heavy. We see God's glory. And, and this, is, this is God's signature move. Um, we, see this, we see this in Deuteronomy. We see the locusts in Joel. We see the locusts in Revelation. And, and when we see the locusts in Joel and Revelation, it's referring to the locusts that are going to attack Israel. So God is going to treat Israel like he treated Egypt. Uh, verse 16 and 17, the, the Pharaoh early called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, I have sinned against Yahweh, your God, and against you. Um, this is kind of new. What, 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 what do we see for the first time in verse 16? So he's confessed his sin before, but now he's going Who else is he confessing his sin to? Yeah, Moses and Aaron. He's never done that before. And he says, verse 17, Forgive my sin only this one, and it's an entreat Yahweh your God that, that, he would, that he would only cause this death to depart from me. He knows death is coming. That after this locust followed, that, that followed this hailstorm, he knows a widespread death and famine is, is coming to the land. Pharaoh is continuing to break. He's not there yet, but he's really close. And so he went out from Pharaoh and entreated Yahweh. So Yahweh changed the wind to a very strong west wind, which took up the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not one locust remained in all the territory of Egypt, but 
Does Yahweh, does uh, Pharaoh uh, submit? Does he repent? No. Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart with strength, and he did not let the sons of Israel go. Remember that phrase here, to harden Pharaoh's heart with strength? It, it has the idea that Pharaoh, he wants to go to the end, but he doesn't have the strength to, so God gives him the strength that Pharaoh needs to go to the end. He gives Pharaoh what he wants. I mean, the smart thing would have been for Pharaoh to, to listen to his advisors, listen to his counselors, listen to Yahweh, Moses, and Aaron. That would have been the smart and wise thing. But no, God will humiliate him. God will make him look like a fool for having uh, continued this rebellion so long in verse 20. And now we move to the, the ninth plague, uh, the, the last plague of the, the trio. The, the, remember, there's three three. Uh, Three sets of three plagues, and this is the last one of the of the of the last triad, the last trio of plagues. And this is the plague of darkness. This is a plague of darkness. And this is one of God's signature moves. Where do we see darkness in the Bible? Where else do we see darkness? Genesis. The death of Christ. We also see it in Joel, right? The sun will turn, the sun will be covered. I mean, the moon will be covered, the sun will be covered. Revelation, the smoke covers the sun, there's darkness. And so this that we, we see a, a one of God's um, biggest signature move. And notice, notice if you look at like a one through nine as like a, a like a progression, as like a uh a, 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 a enclosed unit before you get to plague number ten. Um, how does plague number nine compare compare to plague number one? What's the similarity between plague number nine and plague number one? Right, the, the plague number one is the Nile River, and plague number nine is the sun. And these are really two key aspects of creation, right? Um, uh, in case you didn't know, in the Egyptian life, the most important gods was the god of the Nile and the sun god. And the sun god. So that's how God's going to begin, and that's how God is going to end. Look at verse uh, 21. Then Yahweh said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky. Why does he say that? Again, to show that God is the Lord of the sky. That he's the creator. And so, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even a darkness which may be felt. This is not a normal kind of darkness. This is kind of, this is not like a, a darkness like, like, like it's dark outside right now. Um, it says, look, at the end of 21, it was a darkness that you could feel. This is a darkness of wrath, a darkness of terror. This is a darkness designed to make you crazy. That's how dark it is. I don't know if you ever, you know, I remember when I was in high school, I lived in the countryside, and, and I remember, you know, I was, I was in high school, I wasn't afraid of the dark, but I had a friend who lived, I don't know, 10 minutes from me, and I would go, when I would leave his house and go back home, uh, I mean, I was in the country, so there's nobody. I mean, I'm all alone, and it's dark. And that was like a darkness I could feel, you know. I would just run. I would run from my friend's house to my house in three minutes because I could feel this darkness. 
And that's how it was like throughout all of Egypt. But it was more ominous than that. It was more scary than that because the sun was, was, a, was a big deal in the culture of Egypt. The sun was considered the first king of Egypt. The sun was considered uh, was the, considered the, the father of, of all the pharaohs. That the pharaohs descended from the sun. The pharaohs of Egypt were considered to be the successors of the sun on earth. Their rule were, was the image of the reign of the sun. And the sun, the sun god was named Re, or Ra. And in the palace, they primarily worshipped the god of the sun, the sun god Ra. He was the source of light and heat and creativity. He was the symbol of cosmic order. He was the highest god in all of the gods of, pant of the pantheon. He was the most important god. And so it's fitting that the ninth plague, before the final plague, this is where God attacks the sun god. And so not only is it a darkness they can feel, what else are they thinking? That their God is dead. Their God is dead. Their God is dead. It says in verse 22, uh, Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky, right? God is the Lord of the sky. And there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. Three days uh, was the official time that, 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 that when you declare somebody dead. So somebody died, and, you know, back then they don't have modern technology, so... Uh, you know, sometimes they're not really dead, so they wait three days, and after three days, they say, okay, he's really dead. And so here, there's darkness for three days for God to say, the sun god, he is really dead. I have defeated him. He's nothing. He's nothing, right? Yeah. Um, so for three days, there's this darkness, this terrifying darkness they can feel. They believe their greatest God, their most powerful God, has died. They're trapped in, in their homes. Um, and what is God saying? He's saying, I killed your most powerful God in Pantheon. There's one more God left. Who is that one more God who's left? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the last God. Pharaoh, I killed all the gods. You're the last one. See, these nine plagues are, are meant to humble Pharaoh. They're, they're meant to say, Pharaoh, look, all your gods have been defeated by me. Do you think you can beat me? Do you think you can beat me? And so he's the last one left. Now, in, uh, now three days, there, there's no dark, there's no light. It's, it's, it's pitch black. But then... The darkness leaves. And usually Pharaoh would go to uh, Pharaoh would go to Moses and say, Hey, can you get rid of this? And then the plague would leave. Now it's already left. Right? But Pharaoh is so so frightened. He's so scared that their sun god has been killed. That he's, he calls Moses and he says, Okay, Moses, go. He uses that word again. Serve Yahweh. Be be his slave. I'm, I'm, I'm relinquishing my authority. And so he's almost there. But he says, okay, your, but your flocks, your herds, they have to stay here. Okay, you can take your children. But not your flocks. 
still bargaining. Pharaoh's still hanging on uh, one, one last time. And Pharaoh says, no, you, you need to, you need, we, all, 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 of, all of us need to go. All of our sacrifices. We need to, we, that's how we're going to worship God. How else are we going to worship God? Um, we don't know, when we get there, verse 26, we don't know what God is going to tell us to worship, uh, to sacrifice. We don't know how much he's going to, what animals and how many animals. So we need to take all, all of them there. Um, uh, and, and so again, Moses, he's, he's still very humble, still very respectful. He say, no, I'm sorry, Pharaoh. We, we all, we all need to go. Verse 27, but Yahweh hardened Pharaoh's heart with strength. Uh, Yahweh gave Pharaoh the strength that his, that Pharaoh's heart, that he needed, that he wanted. That he, that he didn't have the strength on his own to do. And so God gives Pharaoh what he wants. The strength to continue to the end. And so in verse 27, it says he was not willing to let them go. And then in verse 28, Pharaoh says, you know what? No more bargaining. Get away from me. And beware. This is it. Do not see my face again. For in the day you see my face, you shall die. Here, uh, Pharaoh's hatred toward Moses really comes out. He's saying, not oh, man, Pharaoh, I can't stand you. I hate you. And by implication, what? I hate your God. I, if I could kill your God, I would. And uh, Moses responds in verse 9, 29 and says, you know what? As you have spoken, I shall never see your face again. Yep, uh, that's right, Pharaoh. I'll, I'll never see your face, but not in the way you think. Yes, Pharaoh, this is over. We're not going to see each other face to face any longer. But the reason is not because you're going to win. The reason being is because you're you're going to lose. And so Moses, by this time, he's uh, he's his faith is growing, isn't it? His faith is growing. He's like, I I, I know where this is going. I know God is going to win, and it's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. We're almost there. We're we're right at the finish line. 